Well, it's nice to be back. Uh, I know for some people, I haven't seen you guys for a while because I was away on a couple of weeks break and then briefly popped my head back in for a Sunday and then I was away on youth camp last week as well. So uh, it's nice to be back and thank you. Uh, I just want to acknowledge and thank um, all the amazing preachers who have been preaching over the last few Sundays in both the morning and the evening. We are incredibly blessed uh, to have uh, uh, an amazing preaching team who give us so much and who use those gifts uh, to honour uh, him, uh, our amazing God. And so, yeah, very, very grateful for that. And so here I am. I get to pick up right at the end of a series called Imperfect Fit as we look at this question of what does it mean to be this messy yet beautiful community that we call church? Um, and, uh, and that uh, imagery that we kind of can pick up there in that image uh, behind there is that of the mosaic. You know, we are, we are broken and yet somehow we piece ourselves together and we hope that we present something beautiful to our world and hopefully in some way we can reflect the heart of God. And today I'm going to talk a bit about what it means to party because as most of you know, I'm a massive party animal. When I hear about a party, I want to be there. For those of you who don't know me, I'm actually a bit more of an introvert. That's not how I'm inclined. So it seems very apt that this morning I get to preach on this because they say in many circumstances that first and foremost, when you preach, you are preaching to yourself first and everyone else gets to listen. Indeed, this is a story of this morning. So before we talk about what it means to party, I want to talk about the humble USB stick. Now, the USB stick, if you want to know how far technology has come in the last 20 years, all you have to do is pull out a USB stick and look at what number is written on the side. For those of you who have uh, been in the technology game for a while, um, the USB stick uh, would be very familiar. Uh, and I remember that used to be that we were just so impressed that you could get, I don't know, what, two gigs on a stick? Before that, even less. You know, oh, I've never been... I've never been so responsive. That's amazing. I, I wasn't even asking for that. And people were like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> People know the lower number they go, the more they show their age. And that's totally fine. No, 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 no. But we know this, right? We know this. This is the humble USB stick. But I'm going to show a little bit of my age here because before the USB stick was, was very, very familiar, there was another form of memory holding device, right, that I was a bit more familiar with, which was the memory drive on a PlayStation 2 unit. Now, let me tell you about this, and you don't have to be a gamer to understand this, and the importance of the USB stick or the memory that it contained. You see, if you happen to own a PS2, which I did not, but my friend did, because that's how it worked, uh, you'd go over to their house and you would play a game, but if they did not own a memory card, which at least to my recollection, was an exorbitant amount of money at the time in order to have one of these memory cards. You would commence the game and you would go as far as you could go through the game, but there was no saving. You could not save your progress. And so you would catch up with a mate, you'd be playing this game all night, and the goal would be do not turn off the console. Right? Like, do not turn off the console. You would lay your mattresses around the console as a barrier in case an unknown... <laughs> they get this. You would barrier it in, right? Because an so I bet at some point, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., some parent would come through and they'd see the little glowing light on the console and they'd say, oh, they've forgotten to turn it off. And all that progress would be gone, Right? This was what the memory card was about. And actually, at a kind of inherent level, this is what the memory stick was about. Did you know that the memory stick, at a kind of a deep, deep level, it is permission to stop 
right? Because the reason they call it a memory stick is because we are trusting it to retain the memory of where we are so that we can pick it up again. That is what a memory stick is about. It's saying you don't have to actually hold this information in this kind of ambiguous space. I will hold it for you. You can stop. You can sleep with both eyes closed. You can sleep in the bedroom. You don't need to be next to the console. This is what the USB stick does. And the irony being that if we kind of think about it in this kind of philosophical manner, the larger that our memory devices have become, I would argue, the less inclined we tend to stop. In fact, I would say that the pace of life and our inclination towards work and productivity and doing more has only increased even as our permission to stop has also increased. And this is a big deal when it comes to not only what it means for our faith to be expressed in a way that God created us to live, but also as a spiritual family, as a community, to represent him and his heart well. We need to truly know what it means to stop and to celebrate because God has inherently and hardwired us to do this despite our attempts to resist it. And so today we are going to be primarily focused on, of course, Leviticus 23, which you all knew I was going to because where do you go for a Sunday sermon except the book of Leviticus? And, uh, and it is a fascinating book, uh, and uh, as many people try to stay away from Leviticus as they can, it actually contains incredible truths around how God was shaping his people to represent him, okay? And so when we start to look at going, how did God want to shape his people, there is a whole lot that we can learn today from what God was seeking to do all the way back then with a group of slaves who had come out of Egypt, who he was seeking to restore the humanity to. Yeah, That's what's going on. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Leviticus 23. Uh, if you've got your device, it's uh, toward the front. Uh, and, um, and we're going to dive in there. Now, it's, it's obviously a whole chapter. I'm just going to kind of skim it a bit, and we'll kind of focus on a key few points. Um, but here it is. Leviticus 23, verses 1 to 3. Uh, now, this is... Uh, so. Uh, Moses has received the law, right? This the law, the guiding instructions for his people, uh, God's people. Uh, and as part of this, this law, uh, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, uh, this is, uh, we're just kind of framing up this, this whole chapter. So, so again, God is saying to Moses, pass this on to the Israelites. I'm going to have myself some festivals and feasts. And they're going to be mine, by the way. You know, These are my appointed festivals. They are festivals of the Lord. These are my initiative toward the people. And these things you're going to do, and they are going to be set apart gatherings, these sacred assemblies. Okay, And this is going to be really, really important for you to abide by. Now, these instructions, Le Leviticus was given to the Levites. This was the priesthood. This was the people of uh, that particular community, a particular tribe who was specifically responsible for being located in the center part of their camp. So if you can imagine us going out on church camp uh, in a couple of weeks' time, the middle section of Ross River where the road goes around, they're planted right there in the middle and everyone else is kind of camped around so that when 
then people would get up and they would look, they would look toward the middle and they'd see a demonstration of what it looked like to honour and follow the God who had freed them. They were deliberately positioned in the centre of camp so that these people could learn what it looked like to follow God. And throughout this entire chapter, there is this rhythm And if you read through the entire uh, text, you will notice this word comes up over and over again, which is the number seven, seven, seventh. Okay, out of all the 44 verses, I think, that are in this chapter, it appears 18 times. Okay, so there is this rhythm of this word seven, which is an, an echo of this verse three. This whole chapter is based around the concept of Sabbath, right? The Sabbath rest, that you are to do no work, that you are to slow down, that you are to experience my peace. This is what the entire uh, section is framed around. And so God gave his people who were trying to discover what it looked like to, to live in his reality under his rule, these seven festivals designed by God. And here they are. And again, we're going to touch on a couple of them, but it's actually more important to understand what God is doing in the big picture here than the specific details of these festivals. And we have Passover first. Then we had the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of the first fruits, the festival of weeks that we would later know as Pentecost, the festival of trumpets, the day of atonement, and the festival of tabernacles. Now, this word uh, can also be translated feasts, these feasts or these festivals. Um, It can uh, both mean uh, the same word. So a couple of examples of what's going on here and what God is instructing his people to do. It says in terms of the festival of unleavened bread, on the 15th day of that month of the Lord's festival, sorry, of the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast, On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. You're like, okay, yep, no worries. Let's just jump down here to the festival of trumpets. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Because, you know, when you'd like to chill out, that's what you want, full-on trumpets. Um, Do no regular work, but present a food offering to God. The Lord. So what you'll see if you read through this chapter is there are some common threads. This phrase, no regular work, comes up over and over again. You are to stop. You are to slow down, okay? Then usually there can be some abstaining of some kind, maybe leaven from bread or, or something uh, of that nature. Then there is an offering that is given to God of some kind. And then what follows behind all that is essentially time to do not much, which in the text kind of sounds like people are just sitting around for days, hey, I've done my offering, I'm not allowed to do my regular work, maybe I'll just sit here. That's not what happens, okay? When they have this time, they feast, they party. You look at this and go, oh, surely they, they must be just sitting there in, in prayer. They have ritual, but they are eating, they are feasting, they are spending time together. There is these certain steps that they need to do, do no regular work, present these offerings, right? But all the other time is designed for them to celebrate and feast and spend time with each other. Now, these festivals were again given in addition to the regular offerings. It says in verse 37, these, that is the Lord's appointed festivals, 
which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord, the burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. Now, you could read this and be like, oh, God just wants more. But this is not what God is doing here. Again, we're talking to a people who have been liberated from slavery and he's inviting them, in addition to the Sabbath rest that he commands them to have, to actually take these additional times out to stop in a deliberate way and to celebrate, to feast and to party. It's very easy to read the Old Testament and realize or kind of interpret that as just a, a God who has a list of rules that he wants them to follow, presumably for his sake, because he's a God and he can get what he wants. But actually, when we start looking deep into the text, and this isn't just with these festivals and these feasts, but also all the way through the law, what we see is a God who is extending his grace out to the people. I'm giving you these instructions as a gift. You see, God commands the people to regularly stop and celebrate in many, many and various ways, not for his sake, but for the sake of his people. This is really important. God does not need the offerings. God does not miss, right? He's like, oh, there's a part of me that is missing if the offering is not presented. Now, don't get me wrong, the, the posture of the people toward God and honoring him as their liberator, of course, that is very important. But there is not a piece of God that is missing that these laws somehow fulfill in him. Okay? He doesn't need these things because he's insecure about his involvement in their life. He doesn't need reminding of his love or certain affirmations. Now, as humans, we need that, right? <laughs> That's what we crave. But our God doesn't need that. But much like the rest of the law, these uh, feasts were a grace that were extended to his people and it was all about rest. It was all about rest and about trust, right? Seven, 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 over and over in this passage, Sabbath, 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 Sabbath is essentially what it's screaming. It's saying, stop, rest, trust that I have done enough. Because beyond the law, what God really wants for his people is a partner who trusts him and trusts that he has done enough. Now, for some people, again, depending upon what you've grown up with and your understanding of the law, that might just be a completely foreign concept. And if it is, I encourage you to be challenged by this. Because this is a God who always invited his followers to trust him. And in fact, he wanted this so much for his people that he commanded it in the form of laws. He essentially says, party or else. Right? It's, I don't know if you've ever thought about a God that says, party or else. Right? We don't think about our God that way. Because somehow we presume, or maybe because of our own kind of reflections of ourselves, we project that there is some sort of deficit. He needs this in order to be appeased, as if there was something missing. But over and over again, this was God extending grace to his people. Party in my provision, of course, it's all God's provision. Party in my provision, party in my liberation of you, okay? Please, for your sake, do this. You need to do this. 
And while this type of party isn't necessarily gluttonous, you know, in the New Testament we have pictures of various feasts that actually get critiqued because they're just, you know, just gluttonous and, and aren't reflecting the heart of God, these feasts were certainly grand. They were grand. So the question then becomes, why does God call us to stop? Why does God call us to party? Because what happens when we don't? I don't know if you've ever been around a little engine that has never stopped, especially those ones that are contained within things like bubble machines with plastic housings, and they just keep going and going and going, and then you start to get this stench and this smell of burning plastic because this is a motor that should be stopping on a regular basis, but it doesn't, and so it starts to heat up and it starts to burn. That feeling and that sensation of a motor working too hard is, I think, something that God wants to avoid in us. But what about humans? What about humans? What about for us? When we continue to go and we don't stop and we fail to celebrate, what ends up happening to us? One of the first things I know that goes is that we forget to be grateful. We're so busy looking on to the next things that we fail to be thankful for that which we already have. Because the future is there rather than actually embracing the provision of God within this space. I'm so busy moving forward that I don't see what's at my feet, right? That's what happens when we fail to stop. When we fail to stop, we start defining ourselves by our production, right? And I admit, like, this is still a part of me. I think I spent too long in Melbourne. But, you know, like, there's cultures, like, that perpetuate this as well, you know? It's like you are defined by what you produce. You are defined by your rank within some sort of system. And unless you are producing and unless you are delivering, then you don't have value, right? And we've got to be honest about the fact that there is entire industries that are built upon this premise. And we as a church are not these industries. That is not God's agenda at all. In fact, we need to be the counter-narrative to that, right? Of a God who says... Sabbath, you're okay. Everything is already okay. Trust me, I've already done enough. Completely countercultural to a lot of the systems we are in, and yet at the same time, we too can fall victim to this. Go, 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 go. And I want to say this as well. This doesn't mean that we're not produced for meaningful work. I'll get to that later. But in case that's kind of stirring up with you, I'm just going to identify that. God's given us good stuff to do, all right? I'll talk about that later. But if we don't stop, if we don't celebrate, if we don't party well, we end up forgetting to be grateful and we end up being defined by what we produce, which means that if suddenly we can't produce or we're not producing to whatever level somebody is suggesting we should, then that kills us. It kills us to our core. And I know that some people here are experiencing that right now, and it's not what God created you to experience. The last thing is that we burn out. Just like those little motors that bzzz and they smoke, eventually enough is enough and boom, I'm done. And again, it might be you, it might be a friend, it might be someone else who has experienced burnout to a measured extent, <laughs> it varies. But we know that this is a symptom of failing to stop and celebrate. And so we can be reminded that when God is working with the people and they're essentially like a blank canvas, and he's like, what do I need these people to know? Like, what do I really need them to know about what it means to be human? I've got to remind them. I've got to command them to stop. 
because there's going to be this Sabbath thing and that's all good. But actually, I reckon they're going to need some more than that. It's not just about stopping. It's about celebrating. It's about partying. And again, I, I get caught in this trap. I'm, I'm going to be shameless in, in giving you an example of this. I came back from two weeks break uh, about four, no, a couple of weeks ago, really. Two weeks break, and I was kind of like, I just knew I had a lot on my plate. I was like, youth camp's coming up, all these things to do, whatever the backlog of emails is going to be. Like, this is not unfamiliar territory to you guys. Maybe the youth camp, but you know the other stuff you're pretty good with. And I knew I was kind of coming in, and um, and I came into the office, and uh, wonderful uh, Ian and Jennifer had presented me with this beautiful gift, which was an office full of hundreds of balloons. And shame on me. No, 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 I mean this. Shame on me. Because my initial gut instinct to this wonderful expression of generosity and love was, how long is this going to take to clean up? We laugh, but, but I mean that. I mean, shame on me, right? But, but isn't that indicative of like, the human condition, like, and, and, and how, and, you know, and, and I'm grateful to say that I kind of got over that and I was like, no, no, that's all right, this is good, this is good, you know, but, but I mean, Ian will testify, it probably just took a little bit of switch in me, right? Because I was like, I had plans for this morning, I was going to be super productive, and now I've got to wade my way through these hundreds of balloons that these people have lovingly put here for me. How dare they love me? How dare they be grateful that I'm back? Like, crazy talk. The crazy talk that comes from somebody in that moment who has failed to stop and who hasn't got into a habit of celebrating well, you know. <laughs> There's no time to party. Shame on me. As a church, we can fall captive to this too. It's, all us. it's worth us being reminded that the church isn't successful when it's busy. The church is successful when it's loving, Yeah. And that's been spoken about, right? Loving God and loving others, right? And I know we can talk about little bits of productivity on that. Again, meaningful work to do. Okay, don't shoot me down. But at the end of the day, if we're defining our success by how busy our church calendar is, then we are using the wrong metric. And it's one that God, from the very beginning with his people, tried his best to command us not to do. <laughs> so back to our text. Again, who was this grace or this command given to? It was given to former slaves. In the latter part of the, the, um, the feast of, uh, oh, sorry, the feast of booths, as it's sometimes known, it says in this: "Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt." I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites and appointed the festivals of the Lord. So this is right at the end of that chapter, Leviticus 23. It's finishing up with the, the Feast of Booths or the Festival of Booths. And he's just reminding them, this is where you have come from. Remember, as slaves in Egypt, this group of people were defined by their productivity. What did they do every day? They made bricks. They produced bricks. That was their existence. And so for multiple generations, the definition of success and thriving was, did we produce enough bricks to not be beaten? 
And so you've got this group of former slaves who have been liberated from Egypt, and all that they know is productivity is my worth. And God is seeking to rehumanize them from that lie. And I just wonder if sometimes we need to recalibrate. You see, they wouldn't have been grateful to go back to our previous list. They were defined by their production, right? And I'm no doubt many of them burnt out. And so God needed to teach them something different. He needed to move them from a slavery or a scarcity mindset, that which we have so little, to a freedom and abundance mindset. Jesus would later reference this idea and the rabbis would use uh, this idiom called a good eye or a healthy eye or a bad eye or an unhealthy eye. It was an idiom that they used. It meant pictured, uh, it's a, a set of words that, that ma- it represented a bigger picture. And Jesus would use these words in referring to the state of our lives. He would say, the eye, that is our perspective of whether things are generous or scarce, is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, right, that is, you have a freedom abundance mindset, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, slavery scarcity mindset, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus was picking up on this thread that was in the Bible all the way through the narrative of Scripture and saying we need to be regularly moving from a scarcity slave mindset defined by production to a freedom abundance mindset where we are commanded to party and celebrate. You see, we often get caught up, maybe for good reason, in the instruction of God to go and make a difference, which is great, and we should. Please hear that. This is an anti kind of like do stuff for Jesus talk. You know, we're all about kingdom impact and kingdom invitation. We love that. It's great. It should flow out of our lives wherever we are. But what if stop and delight? What if stop and delight was just as, if not more important, to truly understand God's love for every person than go and make a difference? You see, because we use that go and make a difference as a, as a measure of God's love. God loves everybody, so we need to go and make a difference and bring about transformation. And that's good. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it can come at the expense of knowing that God's love and that trust to you are enough is actually embraced in stopping and delighting and partying. <laughs> see, God knew what his people needed. God knows what us as his people need. And so he commanded his followers, those chosen to represent him, right, which is us, the royal priesthood, to stop and party on a regular basis. One final idea as I wrap up. As his people wandered through the desert, there was this provision of God called manna. They weren't able to generate enough food themselves, and so each morning God would miraculously create this manna. Uh, the word literally means, what is it? <laughs> uh, but that was kind of like a, a bready type thing, a wafer, it's kind of described. And each morning, the people would be instructed to go out and collect this manna from the ground. Right? And that was a great thing. It sustained them. 
But again, let's just check the order here. Every day, God provided, then the people went to collect and work. Okay? Provision, delight came first. Then came the work of collecting it. And nearly every day, except for the Sabbath day, they had to do that every day. They were being trained to trust in God's provision that he had done enough. And then, not just expect it to appear in their mouth, but go and collect it. Do the work then. But the order was always rest, then work. Provision, and then action. Again, this message is not some sort of excuse for passivity. All right? Well, like, oh, I can sit back, relax, you know. I think it's more of a recalibration as a church for each one of us. Just, just check ourselves. Am I hunting for the manna before it's provided? Have I got the order right? Have I actually celebrated? And again, I'm speaking to me, right? I'm not jumping up here pretending like I've got it all together. But I just know that as people who are called to represent God in this world, as a church who is called to represent Christ here in Alice Springs, we are called to be distinctive just as God's people are called to be distinctive. And I feel like this particularly is a countercultural, counter-narrative gift that God has given his people. So maybe your step is to get the order right, to work from a place of rest. I mean, while we're not bound by the, the feasts and the, the laws and the given to the Israelites, we are still called to the heart of that law, right? This invitation to regularly stop and celebrate. So maybe you need to stop waiting for a socially endorsed reason to party <laughs> and just party. Whose birthday is it? Someone's. And just enjoy. Maybe it's about stepping outside of that scarcity mindset and we all want to be responsible with our money and our finances and our resources, right? There's so many ways that people could get up here and just argue against me. But Gavin, you haven't thought about Just hear what God is wanting to remind us of. And if you're vegetarian, I apologize, but maybe it's about buying the biggest steak. <laughs> okay? Just enjoying that a little bit more or the equivalent. <laughs> Sorry, plead ignorance where you just step outside of that scarcity mindset where I just don't quite have enough, but actually I'm going to enjoy and delight in God's provision. It's all about God, his provision, right? Maybe that's a recalibration. Or maybe we just this morning need to be reminded that God wanted the best for his people from the very beginning. And he still does. He still does. So as a church, messy and beautiful, I hope we can obey God and party more often. I hope that we can trust that we are already loved by God. And may we take that permission to stop rather than just rolling with the system that we have so often become a part of. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you speak to us from history, you speak to us from experience, God, that you know us deeply.
And God, thank you that you want us to trust that you are good, that you provide. And as we delight and as we stop, Lord, may our hearts be filled with gratitude. May we be reminded that our value isn't defined by what we produce, but simply because we are made in your image and that we are loved. And God, I want to pray against, in in Jesus' name, I want to pray against burnout, (laughs) Lord. Because that is anti-human. That is anti what it means to represent you well. And so God, would we take stopping and celebrating seriously? And in doing so, God, be a distinctive people here in Alice Springs and be a distinctive church across our nation and to be distinctive people in this world. We thank you, God, that you've always been looking out for us. Help us to trust you. In your name, amen.